With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Sammy Joe's Podcast, the show that is all about gaining insights from top performers as they share what made their teams successful and translate those ideas into your everyday lives and businesses. Here's your host, three-time Olympian, professional speaker, author, and entrepreneur, Sammy Joe Small. Welcome to episode nine of Sammy Joe's podcast, where I interview one of the most influential coaches in Canada, Wally Kozak. His passion for teaching is contagious, and he has a belief that coaches and leaders have a responsibility to care for players and develop them as people and citizens. He has coached at every level, including minor hockey, professional, and the Olympic level, serving as Hockey Canada's head scout and manager of player development for four decades. One of women's hockey's fiercest advocates, he has worked at every level of the game, helping it grow here and overseas. He has left his mark on countless players and coaches around the world, many owing their careers to him. I hope you enjoy his incredible insights and my interview with Wally Kozak. Firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional Indigenous owners of country throughout Canada and pay my respect to them, their culture, and their elders, past, present, and future. I don't know anyone that loves the game as much as you do and finds such joy in teaching the sport. Your passion for the game is contagious, and there are so many top Canadian players that owe their careers to you, including me. So a huge thank you, and thank you so much for being on my podcast today. Thank you very much, Sammy. It's a pleasure. Well, I really appreciate it. So let's start in the very beginning in the your original team in the Kozak family. So you grew, grew up in a small town, Wadena, Saskatchewan, is that correct? Yes, yes. Yes, and um, from an immigrant family. So what was it like growing up in your family and what values do you think were taught to you at a young age that served you later on as a coach and as an educator? Well, first of all, immigrant family, first generation Canadian, it has a special significance because my father leaving the old country under the Stalin regime to get away from communism, basically, life was really bad for him. So he took the big step and did come over. And uh, I'm so thankful that he did uh, that my whole lifetime. Uh, in small town Saskatchewan, growing up was, um, you know, everything was a part of it. You just uh, learn to grow up in Saskatchewan and be a Canadian. And uh, where it took me, well, relative to my growth, sports was very important. It was sort of the what kept our family, the, the three boys, uh, in focus because it was difficult for my immigrant, uneducated father, a shoemaker. Uh, making a living and looking after three boys, and it was a, a challenge. And our mother was sick quite a bit, so uh, he had a tough job. But thank goodness for sports as a whole, a small community that really looks after everybody in the community, and uh, and hockey because it was 
it was the escape. It was the place to go and be and forget about everything and just just play. It was fun. Was um, sport integral to your dad's life before coming over, or was that just something within Wadena that was really important? No, my father really um, just family basically was a farm family, and he had about a grade three education and uh, nothing to do with sport. In fact, he actually didn't like hockey because he watched my oldest brother play uh, in a minor hockey game as a 15-year-old and get into a fight. And it's an interesting story because uh, he didn't want me to play hockey after that. And he burnt my skates in the, uh, we had, uh, we lived in a dwelling with three wooden coal stoves back in the day. And he really didn't want me to play the game. But of course, the community, uh, you know, members in the community came around to say, look, uh, I had a little bit of talent, but it was really important for me to be playing. And, and I did eventually. And it's, it's interesting. By the time I was in grade 12, not in grade 12, but we were built a new arena in Saskatchewan. I was in grade 11 at the time playing on the senior team. He never came and watched me play until the opening of the new arena. In that particular game, I had a pretty good game. And he, the next uh, day, or maybe a day later, there were a pair of tax skates, CCM tax, which were the skates of the time, not my brother's hand-me-downs that I always had. And he said to me in his broken English, Sonny, I think you're going to need good skates. Oh, that's so special. That must have meant the world to you. It did. It really did. Um, more now, you know, uh, even from back then, because uh, as an immigrant and, and you're subject to the sways of the community and the small town I lived in had nine churches, a thousand people, big farming. And my father was pretty devout, uh, church goer, choir singer. He was more of a singer than he was an athlete, but obviously uh, there must have been something in the genes where had he been an athlete, who knows what he would have done. He might have been a boxer. I don't know. Did your brothers continue on playing? Or I know they're avid hockey fans, but. My my oldest brother was a, a very good player. <clears throat> he was a mesomorph and probably had the most talent. But being the oldest brother in an immigrant family, he did move away for one year to play junior hockey. But then he went to teacher's college for a year and actually ended up teaching school and getting his degree, if you can believe this, a degree by summer school classes. Wow. Impressive. That was what he did. But he always played hockey, and he also sang. Singing was quite big in our family. My other brother became a radio announcer. He served a, had an excellent career in uh, Winnipeg at a radio station there, but he grew up and uh, just went through every level, beginning in a small-town radio station, moving to Saskatoon, going to the U of S, their local station, and then going to CFQC from there to Winnipeg, where his career launched. And he recently retired in the Western Canadian Hall of Fame broadcasting uh, 
Well, I have been fortunate to have been interviewed by Boyd several times. Um, and every time he can't say enough about you. And it's interesting that um, the three of you went into really a jobs of service, you know, service to the community as educators, as um, journalists. Um, that's, you know, testament to your family. So I want to move into your current family. Um, when did you meet your wife? And I know that you have three daughters. Um, how has your view of um, education and your, you know, your love for hockey impacted them? And how have they supported you through that? Well, I was a school teacher, but I also coached. And um, typical of being a hockey player, I only played a year of pro, played for the Father Bowers national team, leading to pursuing a professional career. But they, uh, having a couple of degrees, which was more important to our family and maybe myself than playing in the NHL, uh, in the end, after a couple of years of pro, I actually decided to return to my vocation because I'm not sure how it would have turned out if I would have tried to pursue that career. But going into teaching and coaching while you taught, uh, um, uh, having three daughters as well, um, it was a, a challenge. They all came to my high school. They all participated in sports, but they all had other interests too. The most athletic one was Stacy, the middle daughter. She played ringette, and I, I did coach ringette, and I had coached her, and I actually coached a senior team at the same time, and both the junior and senior team won the national championships at the time. And she moved uh, over to hockey when I was coaching the oval female team. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. And she uh, never played hockey, but she made the team. And if it actually wasn't for Haley Wickenheiser coming up to me and saying she's good enough to play here, I I wouldn't have, you know, I was really reluctant to take her, but she was a good player, real good skater, very smart, but had ring at hands, and you know what that means. Now, if you don't make the transition early enough, it's pretty tough, but probably an amazing skater. Yes, very good skater, yes. And what was the other two? What were they interested in? Well, uh, Tara, the oldest one, she's um, she was an artist of a sort. In the, she made clothing, like really hmm. unique kind of clothing. And she would have loved to have done that. And uh, interestingly enough, she's the one that got married, had a child, and she's a hockey mom and really loves not a hockey mom, pardon me, a soccer mom. Oh, interesting. The granddaughter's a very good soccer player, and she's coached her when she was five, six, seven, and eight, and and then, of course, passed her on to higher-level coaches. But she's studying coaching. I think the coaching uh, from me is rubbed off on her. Uh, my youngest girl, she has a uh, recorded some music, um, and she has a show on Patreon, and she brings people into the studio online to do Patreon shows, and she's trying to make ends meet, but she's been around the world a few times, traveling with groups. She's a sound engineer, one of very few female sound engineers who is wow. a musician and an artist, and a very good artist and a very good musician, and um, 
what she did, um, she was putting on a concert and asked people for song requests. And uh, my wife requested the song Somewhere Over a Rainbow. And she did a rendition that you you would recognize, but it's it's unique. It's it's changing the way the song is normally played or sung or delivered. And she did this years ago with a friend doing Christmas concerts where they just made up Christmas music, and the two of them both on the guitar and singing. Just they made music. It was an unbelievable. Wow! I would love to hear it someday. That would be incredible. Well, I I'm editing it with pictures of rainbows and pictures of her in the studio and that kind of thing. But she's sort of thinking, oh, it's not that good. It's not that good. I don't have consent to share it yet. But she's trying to promote her work, and this is a unique side of her vocation that I think hasn't been tapped in. To and to an email, a text I sent her today. I said, "Can you do that with classical music? Because you know the music she's, her generation of music, they're they're at their own cutting edge, not my cutting edge. <laughs> and I believe this song, I at least recognize the music, and and have a historical knowledge and feeling for it, and I re-identified with that through her." So amazing. It was, it was interesting, but she's having fun with it. So three daughters, all very different, and that's the thing that you can never, you know, hope or wish or think your kids should follow your footsteps. They'll find their own way. And uh, mine. Well, I think somebody much wiser than us told Billy and I that um, when your kid finds their passion, there's nothing better as a parent. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. This episode brought to you by Armstrong and Small Eye Care Centre. Their eye care centre's mission is to provide compassionate eye care in Winnipeg, Manitoba by a dedicated team of professionals using the latest technical and medical equipment. Started by my grandfather, continued by my father, and now run by my brother Luke and his wife Gina. Their optometrists have been telling people what their eyes say about them for over 100 years. That's a lot of eyes and a lot of experience. I'm curious how you met Carol, your wife, and um, how you ended up in Calgary. Was that for teaching? Uh, we were childhood sweethearts, grew up in the same small town. Mm. And she was uh, an athlete and a very good student. Uh, but, you know, when we got married and then having children, she... She was a mother, and you you appreciate that role. With three girls, I wasn't home. I was doing my thing, and so all of your corporate audience and the male CEOs and even the female ones, um, you've got to balance your life in, in terms of doing what you do. And I'm amazed at what you do and all you're doing and uh, with your family as well, keeping it in mind. And that's something that, my generation of, of parents really didn't go through. It was pretty traditional. It was it was the guy's world. But uh, as you know, having coached women hockey, I've got an affinity for the uh, the genderness of performance first, not gender. And I'm really impressed with the girls I've been able to coach and the women I able to work with on an ongoing basis. I'm I'm really impressed with that. 
Well, I think it took me a long time. I was very fortunate to grow up with a, a mother who was a stay-at-home mom and took care of the family. And it took me a long time to realize the strength that it took for that, that just how much it, it affected us as kids and how, how amazing um, of a job that is. You know, it's not till I think you become a parent that you really understand, but um, it sounds like you have such pride for your family. And I'm sure that that has, is a testament to not only where you grew up, um, but also to Carol and your girls as well. So I want to delve a little bit into your hockey career before we go into your Olympic experience. Um, so I know that you graduated from University of Saskatchewan in 1968. You went on to play one season with the national team under legendary Dave, uh, uh, father David Bauer. So why do you think his mentorship was so important to you? And what did you learn from that experience? Well, Father, uh, the year with the national team, uh, I played in a league. I did not play my final year of eligibility at college because there was a league with the senior Quaker team in Calgary, senior Stampeders, Edmonton Nuggets, and the U.S. and Canadian national teams. And that was the year uh, that the U.S. team, I think, won the world championships. Um, but it was a good league. I, I managed to get scouted, evaluated, invited to the national camp. And were it not for that year, I wouldn't have got the invitation. But I managed to make the team. And that year, only one year, was... Uh, probably had more influence on what I did for the rest of my life relative to sport and Father Bauer's philosophy of coaching. And it was it was all about the good of the game, as you've heard my line all the time. Uh, it wasn't about the outcome. It's not about the end. It's about the process and doing the right things to be your best. And I picked up on that. And so when I went to uh, teach school, coat sports, uh, three different sports at school, and then all the hockey teams I've coached, male and female, ringette, wrestlers I've coached, has always been with that philosophy in mind. Be the best you can be and the results will come. And I think it's really bode well for the people I've worked with and, and the teams I've worked with. Yeah, it's um, it's incredible the impact that you've had. And I think continue to have but what i see now more is more of that philosophy has permeated into education and coaching and it is um more normalized uh whereas i'm sure when you first started that was not the case and i know that you run up against a lot of challenges and obstacles when it comes to developing the whole child or the whole athlete um i guess what has really uh, I know that the philosophy is integral for you, but what has really helped you to motivate you to keep you persistent all these years later? It's hard to say. It's something that's inside of you. Um, you, It's the way I've always approached sports. So growing up, I never encountered the business of sport growing up and the idea of winning at all costs that has permeated our minor sports system to a degree. that. And that's what I've dedicated the rest of my life to with our regular Thursday meeting sessions and discussions. Um, today's, in our sport, in fact, in minor sports, 
there's there's a real divide um, between doing it the right way and getting better results and doing it the wrong way and and harming the participants and not getting the right results. And I think the business of sport is much different than the actual purpose of sport. Uh, business is about winning. And I think you, you'll win if you play as a team, if you work as a team, as you don't get focused on trying to win so hard that you forget about the process and all that has to go into achieving success. So it's a long process. You've been there. You've done that. And, and you know uh, the impressive thing with uh, Olympians is you've been in three Olympics. That's, you know, 12 years of your life uh, of sacrifice. And the, the reason you did it was really the purity of the game and the effort and what you learned from it, what you acquired from it. And that that's the most important thing. And I don't care if you play in the NHL or you play in the Olympics or if you're an Olympic athlete. It isn't different. It's the same. And I think your best athletes and your best coaches understand that. And they'll the one, they'll be the ones that'll have more success in the end. Well, and I think they'll be the ones that the athletes um, remember. You know, they'll be the ones that they they emulate when they become parents and coaches. And that, to me, is the testament of a great coach: is how many of those athletes um, then, in turn, are of service to others. And I can't, you know, I can't even count on one on one and two hands how many people have been like that in your life. You have hundreds of Wally Kozak devotees, including myself. And um, I am internally grateful uh, that not only that you had the belief in me amongst others. I mean, I was just one of so many, but that you took time um, to care in a in a sports environment that was pressure packed. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your first, your women's hockey experience, and then we'll get into the Olympics, but, um, I'm not actually sure about sort of the chronologic, chronological steps of Wally Kozak, but I do remember you mentoring and helping Shannon Miller at the Oval. Um, but I'm curious how you kind of got into women's hockey and you eventually became, uh, associated with Team Japan's under 20 team and then, uh, my next encounter with you was at the Olympics in Japan. So can you kind of tell us about your trajectory within the sport and what made you want to uh, help the women's game? Well, after having taught school for close to 25 years and coaching hockey, minor hockey growing up, plus football, wrestling, and track in high school, uh, the economic times were fairly tough in the schooling system. and we were facing cutbacks and taking pay cuts. And I was a phys ed department head and had to recruit teachers to voluntarily coach. And yet we were receiving quite a pay cut. So mm. I did my work and I uh, stayed with my stance, but it was really difficult to the point where I, I really wasn't happy having to do that given those circumstances. So I eventually took a leave of absence and the invitation to uh, go to Japan was one thing. And I took advantage of that invitation and sort of played a little bit of 
political handball with the powers to be in the hierarchy of the school system and in the provincial education system to get permission to go to Japan periodically for a period of uh, five weeks at a time for five years to work with the Japanese system uh, periodically to help them prepare for the Olympics. And this was by arranged by Dave King, who in 1988, while I was teaching school and helping Hockey Canada voluntarily, Dave had me work with the 1988 Olympic team as a skills coach. He brought me in because I had played international hockey for Father Bauer. We played the Russians. We knew the nuances of big ice hockey, the differences in skill, and how far advanced the European game was. So Dave took advantage of that. I got working with him voluntarily in Japan. And the closer it got to 88, the Japanese asked me to coach their women's team. It was their national To 98, to the Nagano Olympics? Nagano Olympics. Yeah, yes, okay. But initially, all my time was spent uh, working with their minor hockey male system. And they had a five-team pro league. Uh, it was a pretty big, uh, one good team in it, influenced uh, by the Russians, because during the war, Oji in the Northern Ireland was occupied by the Russians, and they adopted the Russian system of play. And Oh, interesting. And the other parts of the country were more of a North American, uh, where Canada had an influence, and Father Bauer had had an influence with some of his former players going there and coaching. So I, I went there, had the experience. When Dave King was released by the Flames, I convinced them to get him to coach the Japanese men's team. He was available, and I said, you've got to get him. And they did, and in the process, I slipped over the women's program. Mm -hmm. And Dave actually helped out with that and saw that I got the position of coaching them at the Olympics. So after that was over, Shannon Miller was going to leave the program, go to Minnesota Duluth. And just about that time period, while I was home, you, your name came up about some, um, Shannon called me about getting you to come to an ice time that I was running with pros so you could be evaluated for her program and possibly a candidacy for the team. And of course that one night you spent there changed, <laughs> changed the world for you because uh, I went to, Certainly did. I went to bat and uh, made, you know, the recommendation that you be a candidate to be looked at. And sure enough, running into you accidentally at the Nagano Olympics in line at the food center was amazing and I, I was quite surprised to see you there having given up you know reading your book and having given up you know a track scholarship and sacrificing all that effort in one sport you know uh, to go over to hockey and take the risk and take the jump but congratulations and Thank you for doing that. <laughs> well, thank you for seeing something on that day. Unbeknownst to me, I would, I didn't know that it was an evaluation. And I'm, uh, I'm certainly glad that, um, you know, the practice was so intense and it just was so much fun. It was just, 
incredible to be on the ice with so many great uh, men, but also great women. I had never seen women at that level before. So I, I'm glad I worked really hard that practice. It, it turned out really well. But I'm curious what your take on your initial experience of the differences at the time in women's hockey versus men's hockey. And did you have to change your coaching at all or your philosophy or your style? No, there. I don't think I changed too much at all. I, I think I coached the right way, not the old school way. Um, you know, I didn't swear, I didn't yell, I didn't shorten the bench. I, uh, that that sort of was the modus operandum, is it? And if you notice today, that's very rare. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think uh, the game's going to be much for the better now. And if we could just get it to be that way in minor hockey, because some parents have co been coached that way, are coaching now, and they're coaching the way they were coached. And it's, I think the generation of player and student is way ahead of where we were back in our day, and even you were in your day. Mm -hmm. So I think we're making great strides that way. It's I call it 20, 21st century coaching. And it may, it's pretty, pretty darn excited. So I, I really had no difficulty with it. I did have to adapt to learning how to coach and teach and answer, ask questions and answer questions because the female athlete, you just can't tell them what to do and you definitely right. can't yell at them. You, you, you've got to make sense in what you're doing and be able to rationalize it and allow them to, uh, ask questions. I'm sure your three daughters helped you um, come to that realization much quicker than probably most men would have. I think if I had had three boys, it would have, I wouldn't be here today talking to you. Yeah. But having three daughters and having coached them and coaching in, in a high school setting helped because I was coaching track and field. When I was coaching wrestling, female wrestlers saved the program in mm. Calgary because the numbers were uh, were down on the male wrestling side. So I really got an and I didn't have an appreciation of coaching females in an individual sport until uh, as much as I did until I coached at the Olympic Oval with coaching all the all women's hockey team. It was amazing. It was. It was fun to coach. It was a pleasure to coach. It was like, wow. It wasn't like, tell me what to do and I'll go through the wall for you. No, it was together. We had to figure it out and work together. Uh, it, one of the things that I say as a coach uh, at many coaching clinics is my job as a coach, and it might even be as a leader, is to transmit belief in the people you're working with. And it doesn't matter if it's your staff, coaching staff, like everybody I've worked with, and I can compliment uh, Danielle Sovichol with the national team and Melody is um, I really appreciated everything they brought. And um, we were different. Danielle's leadership was visionary and incredible, but the ability to agree to disagree and work together was the biggest learning experience um, for me. And not only the just the three of us, 
the staff, and this is something I appreciate probably more than most people, at the end of 2002, after we won the gold medal, uh, during that season, I, I, I really appreciated the sports scientists, the trainers, the, the doctor that was with us and the psychologist that was with us. Everybody played such a big role in that outcome. They, they were just as important or more important than myself or the coaching staff. You're, you're a, a web of influence and, and the one thing I've learned is to appreciate Everybody from the bottom up, from the inside out, not from the top down. And that that's bode well for me. And I think it's a reminder for anybody in any working in any organization, corporately or sports, that's a, there's a team of people there that you want to have on the same page, working together and transmitting belief to do the best job they can. Yeah, I think that's maybe that's so well said, because I think that's one of my perhaps biggest regret looking back. You know, when I was writing the book, um, I didn't realize how many people had an influence on us as a team and on the teams I played on. And um, it really wasn't until I became general manager of the Toronto Furies and I had a staff of 25 people working for me. And that was just one club team. Um let alone the Olympic team, there's many, many more people that go into that. And I think as a player, you're so narrowly focused. And, you know, that's part of the process as, a, as an athlete. It is inherently selfish as you build up your body and you build up yourself. Um, but I wish I would have, you know, it's one of those uh, regrets. I wish I would have taken more time to get to know the people that really impacted us um, and thank them along the way because they did it also for the love of the game and to build team. Um, I am thankful to hear that, uh, you know, the coaching staffs that worked closely with these people were very appreciative and that you guys really did operate as a, as a unit. But I, I think as an athlete, that's a great reminder for not only the athletes, but for somebody in a, in a corporate environment to remember everybody and to stop and say thank you because that goes a long way and it can really make a difference to the end results you're, you're absolutely right and uh, when you're working practicing you're not thinking of everything in the big picture of, of all the people involved and i really credit our ceo daniel uh Sobishow, because I would say more than anybody I've ever met in my lifetime, she saw the big picture and she realized the importance of the big picture in getting that outcome. So it was a tremendous experience working with her and appreciating the importance that you don't have to be the expert in the sport uh, if you're a leader or in the industry. <laughs> You, you, you've got to be a, a great, uh, have a vision, uh, a sense of purpose and perspective of where you want to go and how you're going to get there. But the people working with you, not for you, but with you at every level, they'll, they'll accomplish the outcomes that you desire when you all work together. So it's, it was a good lesson. Amazing. Well, you, um, if memory serves me correctly, you were the assistant coach in 2000 
2001 and then with the Olympic team in 2002 when we uh, won the gold medal um, under, as you mentioned, Danielle Sauvageau and um, alongside Melody Davidson. I'm curious, um, in your mind, you know, that to me was really the catalyst for the the next four uh, Olympic medals, you know, the, the, the base and the, um, the f- philosophy of the program was really developed at that time. And I'm curious uh, what you think um, made that team so strong um, and that philosophy, how that sort of permeated, um, you know, the team as a whole, uh, but also what challenges and um, obstacles did you guys have to overcome to really instill that in us? Well, I, I don't believe the players were a problem at all. <laughs> That's good. It, it's the system. Um, uh, as you know, the United States winning in Nogano stayed centralized full-time, year-round. And you all went to your respective club teams and didn't train as diligently as you weren't athletes, you were hockey players. You're telling secrets out of school right now, but yes, you are correct. <laughs> And the U.S. national team set the bar of uh, training and the importance of sports science in terms of what you're doing, when you're doing it. It's all just laid out. And we weren't doing that. And that's what Danielle understood. And that's what she achieved and accomplished, not without a lot of stick handling on her part financially to access the resources you need to apply that. And I would say that was the biggest thing to sell, not to you, the athlete, but to the, you know, the the administration of the the hockey Canada itself, because sports prior to that, uh, hockey in particular, it was just seasonal, even on the men's side. I mean, they didn't train, but when you came to my conditioning camps, near the end of that tenure of camps after running for 15 years, athletes were coming in in shape. They were they had trained, and uh, I had to change my practice routine. And what, they weren't conditioning focused so much anymore. They had to be technically focused. So it, it really changed because their training wasn't on the ice for fitness. It had to be on the ice for you know, decision making and quick thinking and quick execution and more skill, and uh, that's the one thing I, I've learned from that. And that that that's what's I think the game today has gone exponentially way to another level of preparation and time to the point where I worry about uh, how enjoyable is it because you play a game for enjoyment. So there's that line between you know, do you really want to do this? And you obviously did, <laughs> and you did it that long. And there are people that are still committed and want to do that. And uh, if they do, everything is, you know, I, I wish them all well. You're right, though. The expectation is is much different now. You know, it is um, becomes a job much sooner. It is um, for the the um, younger or young girls. For the girls on the team currently, there is, um, you know, they're wrapped up in the world of social media, of pressure, of much more than we ever experienced. And, you know, I can't, I can't even imagine what they go through. Um, and I am so impressed with their professionalism through it all. 
um, and their commitment. You know, when we when we made the commitment, it was you know we also got to still have that balance in our life and um, stay true to that. It wasn't hard to create that. Now they really have to go out of their way to create that balance. Yeah, much more commitment and mm-hmm. sacrifice, and then. That's why when after the 2002, I became the head scout and sort of a manager of player development, working with the branches right across the country, trying to get them on the same page in terms of languaging, communications, team play overall, coach development and player development. And that was that was my focus after 2002 was the operation of the whole program, scouting, evaluation for development, I called it, not evaluation or scouting to pick a team to win a game. Because if you're going to be an Olympian, you're going to have to be, and I used to say this to parents in meetings across the country, your child has to be crazy to make the Olympic team. And I would often say, before telling them that's what you have to be, is that Nobody here is going to make the Olympic team, and I wait. There's that pause in the large audience. And I say, because they're not crazy enough. Because it's not as easy as just making the team. I mean, you just made that provincial team today, or you're one of 60 trying out for the under-18 national team, and you've got to get through the under-22 team and the senior team, and the the world championship senior team is one thing, but there's still the Olympics. So for 12 years of your life, the, you know, I have sort of set a goal as we expect to have you for two Olympics. If you're going to commit, are you crazy enough to commit that way? And that's, that crazy means passion. Are you that passionate, that driven that you give up your life, your relationships, uh, a normal life, as a player, and you know how difficult it is. I don't know that any of the players had children yet, or how many coaches, female coaches with children, can still coach. But this is a challenge of uh, that that you face and represent and try to make it easier and better for for them. But I'm just so thankful to have been involved. Having three daughters makes it extra meaningful for me to still be working for the game, but having more of a concern for the female game, because I think it's going to make the male game better. Everything. Uh, I think um, you have been so integral to women's hockey for so long. And um, as the head scout and in charge of player development right across the country, you impacted um, future generations that you, um, that we still haven't seen yet, you you know, that we we don't know the, the full impact of all of that. But you um, now have created a new group, which I am excited to talk about and very privileged to be a part of. Um, but after being mentored to thousands of players and probably hundreds of coaches across this country, you started this new mentorship program called the Sharks. So I want um, you to tell us what led you to start this and really what you see as its purpose. Well, this particular group sort of happened four or five years ago in Calgary where a number of friends, Tim Bothwell being one of them, they were meeting for coffee regularly every Thursday morning. Uh, I'll give a little advertisement to the Cadence Coffee Shop at the time where you could sit down and have a coffee 
and we would take a board, a, a big room at the back if there were more than six people, and we would just talk hockey. And uh, with COVID, uh, we decided to initiate it online. And the name, uh, Tim Bothwell gave us the name, coined the title of No Dead Sharks. And what it means, it comes from a Woody Allen movie, and I don't know if you've heard this. No, I've not heard the story. But uh, Tim got tin cups made up with no dead sharks on it, pictures of sharks. And the title comes from a Woody Allen movie, where in the movie his girlfriend had asked him, uh, what do you think of our relationship? And Woody said, well, you know, it's sort of like a shark if it's not swimming. It's not moving forward. It's not breathing. It's dying. <laughs> so the name of a shark, swimming and moving forward and learning, is what we are about. That's the essence of it. And uh, it's interesting. This morning I I exchanged uh, an email of Tom, uh, Tom Rennie trying to get permission to use his uh, – tribute to Claire Drake at Claire Drake's Celebration of Life. It's an 11-minute talk that's just, Claire's the kind of man that, he was my mentor, mentor of many coaches. And Tom's reply was, I'll only give you permission to share it if you share it with the Sharks. So he's he's on our email list, but he's too busy to join, given his job. But he knows what we're trying to do, and that's why he would want us to keep learning and keep trying to grow the game and serve the good of the game. So now we meet every Thursday morning at 8.30. I think you stayed on for just about two hours the last time. <laughs> we went three hours, and I just finished editing, editing all the video. Um, Daryl Belfry joined us, and it was really amazing to uh, just get his feedback and the questions and the feedback from everybody else because – it's an interactive learning process that's going on. And then I spent the week editing it. And this morning I shared about 12 parts that I gleaned out of the entire thing with our audio, uh, with the charts. But I also pass it on to over 400 coaches who are in our email uh, links. And it's just the idea of pay it forward. You encourage everyone to pass it on to somebody who might appreciate even one of the 10 links and they might look at it and they might use it. It's not going to hurt. So that sort of keeps me alive, Savvy, to tell you the truth. That's that's all I'm doing today. So, Well, I love the eclectic nature of the, of the participants, of the guests from Dr. Saul Miller, one of uh, the world's most renowned sports psychologists, to uh, Angie Abdu uh, writing about minor hockey and a, mostly a fiction novelist um, and her take on minor hockey. And I think it was in Canmore. Um, it is just uh, to Kim McCullough, who is a full-time female hockey coach um, that I played with and uh, back in the day. So it is such an eclectic group of people that brings such different perspectives. And that's what I, I love. You know, it's really easy to go online or um, to do learning and to find things that are, similar to what you are to believe. But I, what, what I love about the Sharks is that discussion about um, 
about the other side sometimes and, you know, why we come at things from different perspectives and how we can all learn from each other. And I think that that's so important in today's society as well to, to learn, um, you know, from the left and from the right and from the middle and that we all come together with this collective voice. Would you say the same? Yeah, I, I take it a step farther and I read between the lines and you're saying from the left to the right and in the middle. And Claire Drake, in, in his coaching, it was all about a better society. And I believe if you do things the right way uh, in sports, when kids begin and as we coach them and they grow up, sports will teach you the life skills you need to be a lifelong learner and to be open-minded to make better decisions and make a better society. And that, in fact, was the message of Claire Drake that Tom alluded to. At Claire spoke at the a convocation address to the University of Alberta students. And the closing part of his speech was asking each one of them to make a small difference. And if we all did, it would be a much better world. And uh, that's that's where he came from years ago. So you can see whether it was Father Bauer or Clara Drake. I I was inducted into the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame, and in my acceptance speech, I basically said this said everything I'm saying to you to the audience. And uh, it, it it is Father Bauer talks about it, wanted to do it, Claire Drake wanted to do it, I wanted to do it, and uh, I reminded Tom Rennie that we've got to do it, and he knows that, and so we've got the support of the man at the top, it's just the system is hard to deal with, and uh, it's the way our society becomes, we've got to open our society up to being more open, honest, so you can be trust and respect one another. Well, I think that is an excellent way to end off. Um, you have a lot of minions across this country that are now sharing Father Bauer slash Claire Drake and Wally Kozak's message um, to build a better society. So this has been a, truly an honor, a privilege. There's nobody in the game, Wally, that I respect more. So thank you so much for doing this for me. Sammy, thank you very much, and uh, absolute pleasure to have met you, work with you, and to continue have a relationship. Thank you very much. Thank you. All the best. Okay, take care. Thank you for listening to Sammy Joe's podcast. If you have suggestions for guests in the future, would like to book her for your next event, advertise on this podcast, or to purchase her latest book, The Role I Played, please go to www.sammyjoesmall.ca. Thank you.